Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players by trumpet players and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell and Brian Appleby-Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by our good friends at Schmute. Needing to practice at odd times and in odd places? Us too. And that's why we are so happy that Trevor Bremner designed the Schmute. Now in full production for over 20 years, it is the right mute at the right price. Tired of painful back pressure and compression? Try Schmute. And by the World Trumpet Federation. Created to be the singular source for all things trumpet, the World Trumpet Federation seeks to educate and inspire through worthwhile conversation, exceptional content, and an open dialogue that is intended to enhance performance, teaching, and overall musicianship among trumpet players. Tired of the same old stuff? Looking for new ways and easy access to great information that will surely elevate your performance? The World Trumpet Federation is on the way. And now a little about the show. We essentially have three segments, warming up, couple things, and no offense. We'll use these segments to cover information that Joey, Brian, and I think is important. Gentlemen, shall we? This is a segment we call Warming Up and gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. I'd like to start warming up today, guys, if you don't mind. Uh, Well, like a lot of trumpet players around the country, I participated in TAPS Across America on Monday Memorial Day at 3 o'clock. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to my friend Yari Villanueva for setting that up and having the social media presence and really generating a lot of uh, excitement behind it. Of course, longtime Air Force bandsman and uh, now committed to providing TAPS everywhere and anywhere they are needed. So, Yari, thanks for that, and it was an honor to be part of it. Yeah, it was it was really cool and uh, and it was really interesting to hear everybody play and everybody's versions. I'm not sure Yari would be <laughs> so excited since there was some variety. My colleague George Rabbi called. Well, I probably shouldn't say it on the podcast, but he he said Yari's version is the way you should do it, not yeah. not not fast, just straight eighth notes in the middle. <laughs> well, this is the best part of being a trumpet player, right? This is something. It's a lovely idea, and it's meant. It's meant to be a service. And what do trumpet players do? They start arguing, which I love. <laughs> there right. were some serious arguments going on about, all right, so is it dotted eights, sixteenths, or is it straight eights? And is it, is it too slow? Is it too fast? Oh, my gosh. Oh, trumpet players. Can you take a step back and go, hey, this is a really nice idea, and that was good, and leave it at that? The answer to that question, no, they cannot. They cannot right. do that. Well, my part of this is really that I, I think it would have all that would have been eliminated if more people had done it on cornet. And there it is. Oh, here I we knew, go. Here I we go. Knew somehow we'd get back to this. <laughs> That's right. They had just done that. Better time, better pitch, better rhythm, better sound. Ex- more of a all there. Explain to me how cornet by definition has better time. <laughs> because if they start on that. <laughs> now, wait a minute. That's a great idea. I still stand by that idea. I'm with you. Totally. So your, your contention, I want to sum this up, is that starting on cornet gives you better time. Yes, much better. Uh, explain that, much please. Better. <laughs> it's just you're just immersed in a much better sound um, environment that helps you concentrate more on your time as well. Wow, I've given you guys wow. some leeway the past couple of weeks, but man, we are off the reservation. No, 
No, but I would like to go back to the fact that this is where it, it had to have been a trumpet player this, that started the phrase, like, nothing is sacred. You're right. We couldn't just let it go, right? Taps. Yeah. I'm like, oh, but no one will comment on this. Okay, we'll just respect each other's ways of playing. <laughs> nope. No. Here we are. It's dotted. No, it's not. You're an idiot. Right? <laughs> exactly. Everybody went right in. It's absolutely. Uh, I, I wish I could say I was surprised. I was not surprised by it at all. <laughs> I was surprised by how many of those, uh, they sounded good. Most people sounded good. Uh, and I know it's not the most technically challenging, but it can be a fairly harrowing 24 notes to, to deal with, is that I guess either people did a bunch of takes or just decided I'm not putting that up because most of what I saw online actually sounded good, which I did appreciate. Well, you think about, I, I, I think back to my own personal history with playing it back. That's one of the things that you, you could kind of, you know, eventually not start with because of the range, but ultimately, you know, you end up getting called on to play it pretty early in your career. For me, I was, you know, I was just starting high school and my teacher became ill and I had to step in for him and do that. You know, and that so I think all trumpet players have a pretty long history with it. Um, though, and, and that for me represents there's a whole bunch of, you know, memories and emotions tied up in playing that as a trumpet player. And not only obviously for what it stands for, but I've played that for uncles. I played it at my dad's memorial service. You yeah. know, those are things that, you know, that's that's a hard thing to get through. Um, but what it means to people and family. And, and then I also look back to I got to travel with the uh, the American Legion guys on Memorial Day. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking pancake breakfast and the whole nine yards, right? <laughs> the and traveling are exactly traveling around doing the 21 gun salute to all these cemeteries out in Western Pennsylvania. Great, great memories. Uh, I was, uh, this is, this is my best tap story. I was 16 years old and I got called somehow by the daughters of the Republic of Texas. I don't know if I brought this up before, but uh, <laughs> Texas was its own country for nine years, 1836 to 1845. That's important. So, being from San Especially Antonio, if you're a Texan. <laughs> every year at the Alamo, they have a ceremony uh, to commemorate the, the falling of the Alamo. And they asked, would you come and play taps at this thing? And it happened to be on the day I was going to be downtown for some high school jazz festival thing. So I said, sure. So I go over and I sit there and they say, you sit here. They're going to do the whole ceremony, they do the whole thing. We'll turn around, we'll point, you stand up, you play taps. Cool. I did practice it. I was ready. I get there. And uh, when I was 16, I looked pretty much like I do now without the beard. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tall, large, long-haired person, which is important to this story. Um, so I play taps. It goes fine. Uh, the, the, the lovely ladies that were the daughters of the Republic of Texas gave me a commemorative keychain, which was the stamp of the Alamo, which was lovely. It was nice. You know, they were, oh, thank you so much. I'm like, thank you. Cool. The next day in the paper, the uh, coverage of this, talked about uh, the ceremony and included that the Air Force trumpet players from Randolph Air Force Base were there to play taps. I kind of chuckled. My mother was not <laughs> pleased. My mother wrote a letter to the editor, Judith. which they printed, which oh, wow. said in part, obviously you had no one there because no one could mistake my son for someone who's in the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> and they did print it. They printed it with an apology. That's beautiful. Wow. And so, but the real question is, where did you get tacos that day? Oh, well, back then, Taco Cabana. That's where you well, get tacos. See, you could roll through, no, get a couple of number 20s, a couple of number 22s. Oh, there it yeah. is. See, Brian, it wasn't, did you get tacos while you were there? It was, where did you get tacos? Where yeah. did you get tacos? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Outstanding. Brian, no tap stories for you. Are you going to start... Cornet taps across America for next year. There you year. go. No, my, my tap story is actually not a tap story. It's a last post story when we were okay. in the UK. Right. So um, 
Sun Remembrance Sunday. Of course, uh, his story is British. Of course, yeah. And, uh, and so, of course, um, Neil, I went to church, asked me if I'd play it on Remembrance Sunday during the service. I said, of course. And uh, so then I went to, of course, to Neil Jowett. I said, Neil, I need the music and I need you to teach me how, to, how it actually goes, right? Because there is a tradition. And, uh, and so Neil, Neil took me through it uh, in the Lindley Band Room. Um, and then I played it on, uh, on that Sunday. And, uh, and the only thing I heard was a couple rows away from me. Somebody said, wow, he doesn't really sound American. <laughs> <laughs> High praise. Yeah. That's, right. that's, that's a highlight like, for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Amazing. Last week, I asked the question, silver, brass, or raw, right? And that was a preference about what you guys, do you think it makes a difference and what do you prefer? I'm going to go a step further now. When you're looking for a horn. You don't mean farther? I don't, because farther would be distance. <laughs> That'd be distance, Brian. It's easy to remember because sure? far, F-A-R, is right there in the word. So yeah, it's less when options. You, when Fewer options don't make me come over there right now. <laughs> I will do it. I'll turn this whole podcast right around. No ice cream for anybody. <laughs> So when you're looking at equipment, so this I'm going to say this is horns or mutes. Okay. Does what they look like make a difference to you? Visual appeal. Because I think we've seen there are a lot of horn makers out there and a lot of mute makers out there that have gone beyond what is just functional and looking good with its function. Right? So, for example... Uh, you know, we like Chris Legault who makes the trump core mutes, right? And they're great mutes. So he made that the zinger. And so the first the first generation of the zingers uh, were uh, silver. And then a couple of years later, I ran into people and everybody who has them has this like, they're black. And yeah. I said, how'd you get a black one? And they said, they're all black. And I went back to Chris and he goes, oh, the first 50 were like silver, right? And then he started making the docaflage and all the kind of things. And here's the thing. I've bought more than one of them. I don't need more than one of them because they're cool. It's still a great mute. It just happens to look cool. But does that make a difference in what you're looking for in a horn or in a mute? I, I think it depends on the person. I'm pretty visually oriented, so I'm going to say yes. I'm going to sure. say does it make a difference. And I don't know that – I mean, I, I play the Shire stuff I play because I love it and it plays well. But I must say there's a bit of nostalgia in all that engraving. My first teacher had an old recording mm -hmm. model that had all that engraving on it. So there I kind of feel a connection to that. You know, so that I guess, yeah, if I'm being honest, it does, it does have an impact. So, so for me, absolutely not. I, I don't care what it looks like. But or I, did, like. I did <laughs> I only care what it sounds like and feels like. But I did buy a mute with you. At the Westchester Trumpet Fest, I bought that gold-covered uh, um, Dennis Wick straight mute because right. I liked the way it looked. And I have actually used it a couple times. Once you took the sticker off. Uh, yeah, this, there are no stickers on any of my mutes. Right. <laughs> and Brian and I found a mute, which I bought in England. That's right. And brought back to you, Joey, the pink practice mute. Absolutely. Right? I, use, I have used because that Because of the mute. way it looked. It was pink. Well, right. you did you did send me a picture and said, do you yeah. need this? And I texted back quickly, yes, yes. I absolutely right. need so that. we risked our lives getting that through customs to get it back to you. And don't think I don't appreciate it. He had, people had to hide that coming back from through customs. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have anything to declare? No. <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> Just hurry. Yes. Good thing JC wasn't with you. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's a great it's a great question. I think it matters a lot, especially like for kids. You think about you know last week we were talking about 
um, you know, cornets or trumpets and what the school supplies and, you know, all that. I mean, think about that. If you hand a kid like, you know, like I started on a $60 old ambassador that didn't have much lacquer left on it. Not, I still remember that horn fondly, but, you know, I mean, you think about handing a kid a shiny new horn versus an old beater. Yeah, that could have an impact. Totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, shall we move on, gentlemen? Sounds good. Now to the heart of the matter, the focal point of today's show. It's time for a couple things. So, a week ago, Brian was so kind, so kind to preview the electronic ITG Journal. That is the Journal of the International Trumpet Guild. And I was super excited because there was a re- review of my last CD in there, and I was thrilled. It was very positive, and it What's the nice name of that CD, Bill? Uh, Parable. Where could actually. I find it's that? It's on Mark Custom Records, but you can find it on Apple Music. Oh, it's good to know. Yeah, it's, it's right. Thanks for asking. And so Here's I was very bell. excited about this positive review, and I, at the time, didn't know I was making a mistake, but I took a screenshot of the review, and put it out on social media and tagged all the people that are involved in the recording because again I was very happy about it and that I'm afraid unleashed a storm right yes so it did ITG was not happy about the fact that I reproduced this article and put it on Facebook and they sent me a message to ask me to take it down which I did and then I explained why but this goes to the issue I don't I know it seems like this might be about the CD and the and the review and all that it really isn't it's about a bigger issue Um, which is about organizations like ITG, um, but in particular today ITG about how they're moving forward and what, what is access? What, what should people be allowed to, you know, to view and what should they be allowed to see and what is the organization doing to reach out to people? That's kind of, that's what I'd like to talk about today. That's a good one. It was amazing. And we want to be as fair as we can to ITG as it's the three of us here. What they objected to was you reproducing the review in its entirety. That yes. was that was the objection. Had you not done that, and I don't know, uh, Tom Hooten, one of our good friends, mm-hmm. actually said, well, you could just take the last period off and put it there, and then it's not in its entirety, which is a really, really funny, funny way of looking Brilliant at things. and correct. Yes, because then I, I guess they have no leg to stand on, but you know, if we're looking at what they're asking, they're asking you not to produce what they put into the journal which means that the only way people could see it is if they are members of ITG and are reading the journal. And I want to make sure that those two things are clear. I think there are lots of members of ITG that read the journal. And I think there are lots and lots that are members of ITG that don't give the journal a glance at all. So we're talking about a a small number of people that are, have access to it and are reading it. So if you're not in that uh, group of people, you're never going to see that review. Right. And I don't, I, I understand the copyrighted issue and, and all that, but this was a review of an album that I recorded and submitted, and someone did have to write about it, and that, that part of it was their work, but it wasn't research of another kind or original thought in that way. I know it's difficult to decide where to draw the lines, but one of the reasons I did it was I think ITG is important, and by putting it out there, it might, it might show that they're active and they're doing things and it might entice people to join. Oh, absolutely. ITG, uh, we should make clear, because this is going to come off like we're bashing ITG, which we might be 
gently doing at least a little bit but all three of us are members of itg you guys are both lifetime members right because you both yeah. hosted we both hosted and you i was hosted. on the board i did two terms on the board you've been on the board and i've been on uh, the conference artist committee for a couple of the uh, things we both presented we've all performed you know we're members and we like the idea of itg which is the only reason we're talking about this right now if we didn't like the idea of it we wouldn't bother talking about it at all right. but the idea that there is a international guild to bring together all trumpet players in in a positive way is a great idea so then how best do we do that it seems excluding really good news and good publicity or trying to police that down to hey listen you can share parts of that but not all of that and it's on facebook because again the copyright issue is difficult here in that i don't believe anybody who writes reviews is getting paid and That's I, correct. you know, so yeah. it's not like you were taking your reviewer, you were taking money out of his, out of his pocket by putting this out there because otherwise more people would be buying it. And because it's not sold by issue, it's sold by membership. So right. I, 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 I don't understand any side of positive sharing on social media. I don't understand that being bad for ITG well, in any way. And I know you commented on the thread and, and you brought up some really good points about news organizations who want you right, to link to their stuff so that more and more people come in and are aware of the content. I, you know, I look, I've been a firm believer in ITG for a long time. Um, and I, the more people that know about it, the better. But until they know about that content or until they have some sense of belonging to it, it's, it's just not going to happen. And, and it is 2020, right? I mean, social media has been around a long time. The Internet's been around a long time. There has to be some sort of forward movement for the organization. I mean, what is the organization for? Who is it for? I think I think it actually can serve a lot of different constituencies in a lot of different ways. Um, but I think isn't the majority of the membership made up by um, sort of amateur trumpet players and comeback players? Isn't that a large part of the the membership of ITG? And so giving them uh, and other people who are in that area, like I have students who are comeback players and are not involved in, in ITG. And some are, are deeply involved in ITG, um, but reaching the, one, the ones who are not involved um, with a little bit more marketing or some person-to-person -person marketing seems like a really great idea. Um, and then making that easier for people who are sort of in the business every day. Um, so like if you don't have a chapter at your local university, why is that? Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I don't have one at Rowan, but I never really thought about doing that as a, as a, you know, why would I do that? What's, what's in it for my students um, other than my students should join ITG, which I pitched to them, but there has to be much more. I don't know. There has to be a lot more going on to, to my mind to make it worthwhile. Well, this, this is the, and even from years ago when I was on the board, you know, I believe there's value there, but the, the problem is, you, people have to know about that value. Yeah. Right. It has to, uh, there has to be a built in value. People are okay with putting money on something. And for students, even though the dues aren't considered that high, it's still a commitment at a time when they're committing a lot of money to a lot of things. And until and unless they perceive a real value there, no matter what we say to them, that, that has to be obvious. I, I think, you know, this is what, how beautiful would it be for trumpet players to have that one-stop shopping, right? The first thing on your mind, I need to know something about this piece, this instrument, what mute, who's teaching where. There should be some, the, there's a void there. Where do I go? 
right? There, there is an absolute void there. And back to where you're talking about, one of the things I brought up is news organizations, uh, because I was asked in, in your thread, well, who else links to copyright material? And I said, lots and lots and lots of people. And if you look at the way, just take USA Today, they actually have links, social media links on their paper so that people that want to link to that bring people in. Now, ITG hasn't done that. You know, I went and looked at the website on that day. Just I don't remember the last time I've gone to the ITG website except for maybe to renew my subscription online and went and looked. And the amount of stuff that you can get for free is severely limited. So if you had something like the journal where all of those were links, and then when you share them online, actually brought people to the ITG website, then you're bringing people in, then you're showing them, here's what we have, here's what we offer, here's what we've got. Wow, how could that be anything but positive? I just can't see any downside to that. My, my premise has been for years with that, that if there's a way, I mean, you, ha you have to be willing kind of to give some things away. Right. So but but if you have students who early on from when they're in middle school or in high school and you work with public school teachers to realize that, you know, you, you feed them information, you provide a service to them. Eventually, on their own, they come to the fact that they can't live without it, whether it's ITG or no matter what it is. But again, if they don't know about it and there isn't that kind of access to it and there isn't something given away, it's not going to work. But I, I think it's an look, it's a it's a great organization. It's an older organization that just needs to pivot to keep up. Well, I think um, it's a well-meaning organization. And Brian's saying, you know, what is ITG? And I think for a large portion of the Trumpet community, it's a conference once a year. You know, and especially in a year like, like we have this year where there is no conference, then what is ITG? It, it means it's even less when, you know, most of what happens in ITG happens at the conference. So that's one week out of the year where we can all get together and see a ton of great performances, see a ton of great masterclasses, see a ton of great presentations. And then, you know, all the exhibits, which is its own so much fun, especially for me uh, to walk around and check out all that stuff. <laughs> that it is. I love it. You know, it's great. I, I try and go as often as I can. And now we're, we're in a year where that's not happening. So I would hope ITG is sitting back and thinking, well, then exactly what Brian is asking. What is ITG? Is it really that what you're talking about, Bill, one-stop shop? Is it somewhere where people really go to look? And I don't think it is. That's not what it is right now. Yeah, there's there's so too much other information available, yeah. right? I mean, so I, have, I have a student accessible. tells me he's a comeback player and he goes to ITG. But every week he sends me an email before his lesson and he's got like 10 new um, YouTube videos that he's watched on how to solve this problem or that problem. And so we kind of have to talk him through those <laughs> um, and, uh, and get him, you know, on course or how to filter those or how to make sense of them for what he needs right then. Um, but, you know, for lots of students, all that stuff is available. Um, and maybe there needs to be some sort of um, ex I don't know, conduit through the ITG website that lets members submit videos or um, is, a, is another link to, that, to the rest of the planet who's dealing with trumpet stuff. Yeah, I, look, it's not an easy task. And, and if we can just pivot for a second, I mean, we're talking about ITG, obviously, because this is what brought up the issue. But I mean, any arts organization or instrument organization like this, right? I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you move forward when money's tight? And, and the world is changing and information is as accessible as it is. How do you do that and still stay afloat? You know, how do you make that work? Um, 
I have used this this kind of thought process with a number of organizations, but it's it's the uh, it's the blank slate idea. Our problem is, I think we try to retrofit things. So ITG was started at a time before all of this technology and social media and everything else. So now we try to figure out, well, how can we take what we have and make it fit this system? Let's think about this instead. There's a lot of trumpet players in this world, and they need stuff. They need to learn stuff. They need to be educated. They need access to information. Here it is in, in, in 2020. What, what could we do if you were going to start an organization today, for example, to serve trumpet players? What does that look like? Right. You don't have to retrofit anything. You could just start from scratch, blank slate. But there has to be a willingness to take that approach. It's kind of frightening, you know? I don't know that it's all that frightening because what I'm worried about for something like ITG, which, again, I'm a member I like, is that it just goes away. You know, I, you know, when you look at, if you think about a convention not happening, I imagine that's going to be a pretty significant financial hit to that organization. And then as money gets tight, do people keep subscribing? Do they keep up their dues since they can't go to the convention this year anyway and let all those things go? I would think of more not frightening of how do you stay relevant? How are you part of the landscape? How are you part of the culture? And if that doesn't include a major online component today in a worldwide organization, I just think you you have no shot. Well, here's the here's the issue. This is interesting because I was just yesterday in a conversation with our good friend Dr. Ben Blasco. Ah, ding! Uh, love ding. Uh, uh, Dr. Blasco. Love Dr. Blasco. Friend of the podcast, Lipscomb University. Yes. There he is. And Ben, we we were talking about some frustrations with things and organizations and and all that, and and he said, you know, they're just not asking the right questions. Right. <laughs> you just asked several things that I would file under the right questions, right? Again, but if an organization is the only question they're asking is how do we take what we have and make it work in this environment? That's one really wrong question. Everything you just said, Joey, those are the right questions, you know, and that that's a different, again, that's flipping it upside down. That That's a completely different perspective on it. Brian, you've hosted, I've hosted, you know, yeah. the value of the, the, you know, the value of the conference and the way it brings people together. But Joey makes a good point, which is, if that doesn't happen, then what it is. And this is the ongoing thing with ITG. Is it the conference? Is it the website? Is it the journal? You know, and maybe it's the way that all those things work together. If, yes. If, so, go ahead, Joey. If it's the website and if it's the journal, then it's not enough. Because I don't think those things are, are doing, the website's not re really doing what it could be doing. And I don't think the journal is really getting to as many people as it should and could be. And, you know, Brian, you write for the journal now. Right. Yeah. So I, th I think it, it does have value. And I think it's important. The organization is important. And I think the organization is good. I think it's well-intentioned. Um, I think it does, uh, for my money, it does a lot of things wrong. But think about this. So uh, a few years ago, um, I was a terrible cook. I'm still a really bad cook, but it was a terrible cook. But my wife works these crazy hours, so I really needed to figure out a way to make meals for my kids when my wife was gone literally 24-hour shifts two or three times a week. If you um, use meat, it works better. Yeah, no, no, we're not talking about meat. Cook. But this is a, this is a, feeds into it as well. So, so Amer main course. both America's Test Kitchen and now Milk Street Radio and um, a whole bunch of other um, cooking sites, they have like a combination of videos, online recipes, tutorials, um, radio program, video, um, social media. Um, and it's all of this um, interaction that makes the information 
accessible to many more people. Um, now they do a whole lot of testing and they make it super easy and they make it idiot proof. So I can actually do these recipes um, in order. Um, but like, if you read, like, a, if I pull out a recipe and, um, uh, you know, better homes and gardens or something. Um, and it's, it's this, it's literally a list of ingredients and then some cursory instructions and poof, you have a dinner. And that's the complete opposite of what ATK and Milk Street does, which is um, exactly how you do every step. And it's accessible. So if you could figure out some sort of scenario for ITG in which videos and tutorials and the um, website and social media and the journal were all interwoven um, into some much bigger presence with really significant and helpful information, like reaching out to um, professors who are really getting it done in the studio, um, who are not just be, not just uh, great players, but great teachers, and have a video of them teaching a specific skill um, that their students have had success on. Um, even having them do it with a student there uh, would be much more interesting, I think, than just random people throwing stuff up on, on YouTube, um, and much more interesting than just your ideas in, um, in the journal uh, of, on whatever subject you want to talk about, or funding some, some actual research, or finding out about doing some actual hard science um, what kind of pressure, what kind of compression is involved? What kind of pressure is involved? What oh kind God. of, there it is. <laughs> oh man. What kind wow. of is involved? What does it mean when you add, add um, lacquer to an instrument versus just doing raw brass? So like it's all, they could do a whole lot, um, but I don't, I don't know whether they want to or feel the need to. And the conferences are great. I mean, the performances are great. And I've always enjoyed the recordings that they put out, even recordings that we would say, um, might say, wow, how did that person get a recording? I always enjoy them. They always sound great. It's always interesting to me. Um, and so I, I think they're, they're doing great things and it, it just could be so much more. It, it could be. And, and if we're going to talk, uh, as I've now reached a place in my career and it doesn't make uh, me feel too old as being someone who's an external reviewer for other people's tenure and promotion cases, part of what goes through that in, in most college environments are peer reviewed activities. You know, when we look at something like ITG, we really don't have anything other than that as far as a peer-reviewed organization. You know, that's all we nope. have. The and journal I, is that. That's and it. the journal yeah. is that, but it is not critical in any literal sense of the word. What uh, it, it is a good, uh, you know, poster for trumpet players and put stuff out, but uh, I have not seen anything in there saying, you know, this wasn't that good or this wasn't of a quality that uh, this isn't worth buying. It's all very, very positive. And I appreciate good positive behavior, but not everything can be great. So if we're going to talk about true peer review and what it could be, that's also going to have to involve some real critique. And that's going to be a hard one because that would be a huge change for ITG. Well, I did do a, a CD review um, a number of years ago. I won't say what the CD review was. Um, was a, it was, a, it was a, a recording of a person who plays the trumpet great. He's a great player um, and a great musician, I think. Um, and but I had some real critical comments about the CD. Um, and not only was I asked to water them down when the CD, when the review actually came out, uh, somebody called me, uh, not the person I reviewed, but the, somebody called me and said, "What are you doing? This is the most negative review I've ever read in ITG." And it has been it was watered down from what I had had written. Um, 
and it wasn't that it was a bad CD, but there were some real, I thought, concerning things about the CD. Um, and, uh, and so I, I put those in, but I, yeah, it's overwhelmingly positive um, reviews. I don't know. It's not just a marketing place and it shouldn't just be a place. I mean, it is helpful for people getting tenure. It does help people's careers um, that they write in the journal or they do reviews. I mean, it does help in your, your academic pursuit, but it's, it shouldn't just be that it's got to have more. Right. That's what I'm saying that if, if it's going to exist as our only peer review, then it needs to have honestly honest and critical uh, looks at things. Well, this yeah. is the perceived value piece of it, right? Whether you're talking about like the value for, and this is difficult because it's value from a lot of perspectives, but from a college professor point of view, you know, do you, do you, when you look at that as the juried journal, right, in our profession, does, does it really hold up that way? I mean, based on, you know, what you're saying, Brian, about, you know, the reviews watered down or it isn't negative or whatever. No, it really doesn't. I mean, uh, there are other journals who would be much more discerning and just go ahead and publish it that way. Not that we want to encourage any kind of bashing, you know, no, or anything like no, that. No, not but at all. As trumpet players, we know we're good at that. We're very right. good. We excel. It's easy. But that value, um, like you're saying, what's the value of an online presence for a kid who needs to go find something related to the trumpet? It should be there, right? And yeah. it should be accessible. And that leads them in. And that gets them to the point where they realize, I can't do without ITG. I'm going to be a trumpet player. I'm serious about it. This is what I'm going to do. I need to be a, I need to be a member of this organization, right? Absolutely. And for a college professor to get behind it, to say to to whether you require it or you or just in a position to encourage it with your students, you want to know there's value there because money's tough. What's the what are the yearly yearly dues right now for for a student? I'm not I, sure. I, I do the box of knowledge to find that out. You I don't should, know. You should hit the Googs. Yeah. As they say, uh, yeah, and we're hitting Tom Gugliotta. Yeah, <laughs> obscure NBA reference, please. But, you know, Brian, you were talking about the cooking thing. It's interesting because I mean, the consumer is driven by a lack of patience, right? Like, how many times have you gone to look up something and then just said no? Like, I can't. That's not clear enough. It's not fast enough. It's not right where I want it to be. Yeah. Um, now that's that's a you know, that's a tall order to try to get that right. But the reality is, is that that's the market. That's what, that's what people expect. So it's what is age, it? It's age based now. If you're under 26, the electronic is 33, the print is 38, 26 to 64, $53 for electronic, 63 for print, 65 years and up, $33 electronic, $38 for print. So it's 38 bucks a year? Basically. For students. For students? Or 33 for just electronic. Well, that's what they would want, right? I would have to lug journals around. Yeah. All their different. But back to... And then what's the conference for a student? 300 bucks plus room and board? I and don't transportation? Know. Yeah, and, yeah, and travel and all that. But back to the issue, I mean, the amount... Okay, we, can look, we might look at that and say that's a reasonable amount. But before you'd spend a dime of that, you'd want to know what the value was. Right. Right. You want to know what you're getting. Absolutely. And that's that's the point. And so, you know, what I consider to be a harmless thing by putting that out there. Yeah, because I was proud of it and I was happy with it and I was excited for the people who participated in it. Um, it was also a way to make sure that people are aware that it came from ITG and that they're active and that they're engaged and that I'm engaged with them. Not Where that, can I find that recording again, Bill? Uh, Apple Music is fine or Mark Custom Records. Oh, really that's like good it. to know. Thanks Terrible. for that. 
P A R A B L E. Type in Stoneman and it'll come right up. It will. That's William Stoneman, right? You go formal on the recordings. Formal on the recordings. Like the last one is on Apple Music as well, but not a big deal. Anyway, um, yeah. So I, I get, you know, I get that it's their property and all that, <laughs> but there's, himself. and not that my name is going to be an endorsement of ITG, but in a sense, we all, we all should do that if we're members, right? I mean, we, we, are pretty invested in this thing. When you host an ITG conference, that's a couple years out of your life. There's no doubt about it. So you, yeah. you got to believe in it. And I do. Um, but it was just a frustration because I think, I think there are better ways to get the word out there and to let everyone see the perceived value. Yeah, so here's to hoping that ITG takes some advice from and some and is willing to do some make some changes. Right. And as a result of the post, I had I had really good conversations uh, with some folks who are currently on the board, and I, I think they're going to at least revisit it. And it, that's that's a frustration too. It is a revisit. I my last year on the board or my first year on the board, I think was around 2014, right? And uh, you know how much talked about the same media. issue. Yeah, same yeah. issues, yeah. same, you know, how are we going to get people to join? What are we going to do? Our membership is declining. And now it's 2020, and we're doing the same things, and we're forbidding the same stuff, and we're protecting the same content. And I, it's just protection is prevention, you know? You're preventing people from finding out about it and enjoying it because you're protecting so much content. We're probably not going to solve their, their, their issues today. We are today. not going to solve it today. <laughs> I think we, we did. Not. Actually, yeah. We fixed it. Let's rewind and see if there was anything in there that might solve the issue. Right? <laughs> yeah, did we, we give them a list of things to I, fix? I think we, I think we fixed everything. And how everything. to do it? Like we everything fixed the else. whole damn thing. We, <laughs> we like the way we fixed it. Yeah, next issue. <laughs> next issue. <laughs> couple things. U.S. government, couple things. That's right. No yeah. problem. We, we got it. So, finally, we reach the portion of our program we like to call No Offense. This is where we highlight something from the trumpet kingdom that is recognized, used, and touted, yet might not make so much sense to us pedagogically. We feel it's our responsibility, no our duty, to highlight such things to raise awareness, inform the masses, and generally start trouble. Today's lucky topic five-year music ed slash performance degree packages. How's that? Let me put that on the table and see if we can agree. I'm not sure we'll agree, but I did just that as an undergrad. Um, Now I'm really against it. Yeah, you have to be. Um, Yeah, I did exactly that program, except it was was two separate degrees, but it took five years. so I actually got a degree in music education and a degree in trumpet performance. Now, the only reason I added the trumpet performance degree portion was um, that I thought um, at Oberlin that I would get more playing opportunities if I was a performance major than I would if I was a music ed major. And was that true? That was not true. Um, so yeah, so my my senior year, um, we did Mahler five with um, with Bob Spano. Hold um, on, fourth year or fifth year? You said your fourth, senior fourth year. year. But, okay, fourth year. No, not my super which senior. One. Not yeah. my super oh, senior. It's super okay. senior. Yeah. Well, not I don't know what it is. Sub senior. Yeah. Yeah. Sub senior and senior. Yeah. So my fourth my fourth year. Um, so we had an audition for the parts. The whole studio could audition for the parts and they assigned parts for it. And so I got to play lead. Um, but the person who played assistant was a music ed major. 
The person who played second was a music ed major. The person who played fourth was a music ed major. So like, it didn't matter. If you could play, you played. And I had friends who were performance majors or double degrees, performance and like chemistry or biology or history. Um, and some of those guys, even they were performance, though they were performance majors, never got into the top, the top ensembles. They didn't practice that much. They didn't play that well. Um, and they didn't place that high in auditions. So, you know, it didn't matter there. Uh, am I glad that I did both? I'm really glad I did the ed degree because I think it's super important. Uh, it was super important for me and what my goals were, were at that time. Um, and I'm glad I did the performance degree because it gave me a couple of, um, kept, gave me a couple more, actually, I don't know what it gave me. <laughs> uh, it forced me to do one more recital well, maybe, is, is all it forced me to do, yeah. yeah. So, um, Let's can I? I just got to go back to go this. Ahead. So they had you. You played principal on Mahler Five your sub senior year on yep. cornet. They had a cornet <laughs> player. Is that what happened? I owned a cornet. I did not play it on cornet. Oh. I played it on, on C cornet. I played it on C trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you get a solo bow? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, all the principals did. Bob Spano had to come back on stage four times or something. The last sure. time he just came out and held up the score and then walked off stage. <laughs> yeah. Right. But see, you, to your point where you say, well, I'm glad I did the performance degree because, and you're, you're stuck uh, yeah, for a I'm, reason. I'm stuck for a reason. Yeah. You know, I, I look at this now and when I have students come in and oftentimes we'll say, well, you know, should I do music ed as a backup? And I say, no, no, absolutely. Uh, not. If you, if you don't want to be a teacher and you don't want, uh, you know, public school teaching to be part of your career, um, that's not a backup. That's a real career and it's hard work. And it, you should only do that if that's something you really, really want to be doing. And then I'll have a music education major saying, well, should I do uh, add performance to my degree? And I ask them why they want to do that. Because where I'm teaching, there are some slightly different uh, degree requirements. There is a, one more recital and there might be an extra, a couple of chamber music uh, credits you have to, you have to fulfill, which you can do if you want, like along the way, if you get to your junior year and you want to do a full recital, nothing prevents you from doing that, but it wouldn't be a requirement. So even if you want to do it, uh, we're not treating anyone musically different, uh, differently based on major. We're doing the same thing at IU. We have blind auditions for band and orchestra every semester. You know, we sit behind a screen, we give them a list, and then we see them at the end of the day. And we've had undergrads uh, beat out some doctoral students. We've had education majors do really, really well, yeah. performance majors not. It's based on who's playing well that day, you know, and that's the, the, the way we think it should be. It's kind of a, a snapshot of what it could be like in the real world. Of, hey, you're gonna, be seat, you're gonna be seated according to an, how you play on that day, which is a good idea. But the degree, the idea of taking a whole extra year uh, is the frustration. There are schools around the country not just the double degree, but sometimes just for music ed alone are saying four and a half or right. even five. And wow, that seems like a lot to ask of the students. You know, uh, by far most undergraduate degrees in the country and music degrees are four years. So why are we asking our music education students to take an extra year or you know, an extra, even an extra semester to make sure that they're licensed and get out there and, and quote unquote, the real world or go out there, especially four and a half puts them leaving into a job market in the middle of a school year in which they can't get hired because there won't be any jobs. Right. But wow, you know, we've worked really hard at IU to keep this in four years. And it is possible, even if you wanted to do both of those degrees to still do that in four years. 
if you're willing to do the work, we're, we're, we will absolutely make sure that you can do that within four years and then get out there on, in a regular uh, time frame. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I think you know, it's a program decision, right? There's a philosophy in our program that you're going to be the best comprehensive musician you can be. You don't need to stay another year to have another piece of paper. Because, look, ultimately, what does a performance degree mean? You can't walk into an audition and just hold it up. <laughs> You're going to have to open the case and play. This is a Jan <laughs> Roller thing, right? Performance degree doesn't say you can play, but it does say you can't teach. Right. And a music <laughs> degree doesn't say you, can, doesn't say you can, can't exactly. play, but it does say you can teach. Yeah, you need the ed degree to teach. Yeah. Right. It doesn't go the other way. So, I mean, we have a lot of students in the culture at our places that you do the music ed degree. And a lot of our students then go on to do the masters in performance because that's what they want to do next. But they have an ed degree in hand. They can teach if they want to and if they need to. Uh, and Joey, I agree with what you're saying, too, about the ed. The ed degree is not a fallback. No, not, no, no you, fallback. that's got to be a commitment. And the world doesn't need any more, you know. Bad disinterested teachers. teachers. Yes, there you yes. go. Thanks. Yeah, there are enough um, of those, right? Doing enough damage. Yeah. But I, like at a place like ours, I think it's a combination of philosophy and culture. You know, I have um, your students are required to do a senior recital, but they're doing sophomore and junior recitals because there's a culture of performance. There's a culture of being the best comprehensive musician you can be. And man, with I don't know how people are affording to stay the fifth year. Well, yeah, with, with, with the, the cost today, hit. it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. The financial hit is significant. And, you know, at my place, we do build performance into all undergraduate degrees. So there's an expectation you're going to be in a major ensemble and we do them by audition and performing is part of that. You know, you're doing junior, you're doing freshman juries, you're doing sophomore divisionals, there are jury, uh, jury requirements, recital requirements. We're not, we're not lowering the bar because you, because you want to have public school teaching be part of your career. We still have the same expectations. My trumpet lessons aren't any different, uh, fundamentally speaking or conceptually they're different based on the musician in the room but they're not different that oh you're an education major i guess i just don't have to worry about teaching you right that's right. not a thing yeah. and it shouldn't be a thing and and the problem is there are places in this country and i hope the students that uh, hopefully are listening to this will do some serious homework because there are places that will treat you differently based on your major and that's a real difficulty where Oh, if you're a performance major, you will be in these groups. And if you're an education major, you will be in these groups. Or you'll get an hour lesson if you're a performance major and you get half hour lessons if you're an yeah. education major. Exactly. Those places do exist. And that's something to watch out for because, boy, uh, whether or not you choose to be an education major does not mean anything about your level of play. Yeah, I mean, that that's we run into that all the time. You're just talking to the students, you just about our program versus others. You know, we do the hour lessons a week. O ensembles are open to everybody. It's not limited. But there are schools, even in proximity here, that do that. If you're an ed major, you don't get to audition for that. You don't get to play in that. That's just not the way it goes. And Yeah, same with Rowan. We we do hour lessons for everybody. Yep. yep. That's the way it should and be. Ensembles I mean, are open to everybody. You know, yeah, at the college level, a half an hour lesson is it's just not enough time no. and as chatty as you guys know i am i mean usually as students are walking <laughs> in all right tell me what's going on and sometimes mm -hmm. that can take a little bit of time and sometimes i might run a little bit over and then you know we've got our master class on monday and i've got my studio class on thursday you know there's some there's a lot of time devoted to the trumpet part of this regardless of what else you may be doing well yeah. look if, if someone expects to be a great conductor not a word musician and right in any <laughs> any capacity you develop that through your primary instrument now at what what year do you have them buy the turtlenecks bill nice i you know is that <laughs> is that sophomore junior is there some kind of 
And then like the the, the baton gig bag. When does that come in? That's later, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to get that early. You can't be breaking those things. I've got a great <laughs> combo deal uh, set oh, up with God. a local music store. <laughs> Yeah. They just walk in and say, "Give me the, the, stoman, the stoman, the stoman package and turtleneck, <laughs> yeah. stapled to the turtleneck, score pocket in the side. It's a oh, custom made. Geez. It's a whole thing, yeah. And it's on wheels, which fold out to be a podium. So it's. <laughs> it's quite, I'll send some pictures. Awesome. <laughs> in fact, that's going to be our sponsor next week. There it is. And that about does it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribed, or whatever works for you. We appreciate your patronage, and so do our sponsors who have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell. <laughs>